Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, April 22nd, and this is your FT News Briefing. The prices of U.S. and Brent crude oil fell on Tuesday, continuing a tough week for oil markets. The White House and Congress reach a new deal for COVID-19 relief, and it appears there's one corporate winner coming out of the coronavirus lockdowns, Netflix. Plus, because people are stuck at home and can't travel, airlines and the aircraft makers that supply them are taking a hit. The FT's industry editor, Peggy Hollinger, explains what's in store for the aerospace industry. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Yesterday, the price of West Texas Intermediate Oil climbed out of negative territory. That's when it came to the contract for May deliveries. But it closed yesterday at just $10 a barrel. And the problems continued with the new June contract. The FT's U.S. energy editor, Derek Brower, is back to explain what the losses mean for U.S. and international oil markets. It really just reinforced that this isn't a problem that's just related to a technical expiry of a contract. This is a problem that the U.S. oil industry faces because nobody wants to buy the crude and there isn't enough place to store it anywhere. And so the price just has to keep falling to clear the market. So, Derek, that was the issue with U.S. oil. But yesterday we saw Brent crude, the international benchmark, fall more than 22 percent. What happened there? The WTI contract, U.S. oil, has specific problems to do with landlocked crude struggling to find a place to be stored in the U.S., And so it it has really, really difficult challenges. Brent isn't so challenged because it is a seaborne crude mostly and it can find its way to storage facilities somewhere. Nonetheless, what we're dealing with is an absolutely huge collapse in global demand. And that will affect the Brent contract as well. It affects all, all oil contracts. There isn't a great deal right now for anybody who likes to see the oil price rising or or bulls in the market. There isn't anything for them to latch on at the moment. There's simply a huge mismatch between supply, which remains fairly substantial, and demand, which is diminishing as we speak. And probably the peak of the demand collapse, or the nadir, if you like, of the demand collapse has not even arrived yet. Um, That's going to arrive over the coming few weeks. Now, Derek, this is coming off a production cut deal among OPEC plus member countries, a cut of 10 million barrels a day. Could we see another production cut soon? The the oil deal that was struck last Sunday night, so about 10 days ago, was the greatest oil deal ever agreed in history. By far, even the greatest supply deal in history couldn't counter sufficiently by far the greatest demand drop in history. And even if OPEC decided now to add a few more million barrels, I don't think the market would really buy it. I think the market would just say, look, you can't do enough right now until there is widespread rationalization of supply enforced by price and things organically rebalance themselves. I don't think there's much that uh, volunteer supply cuts by producers who, let's face it, have a rather checkered history and fully delivering those cuts they promise anyway can properly rebalance this market. Earlier on Tuesday, U.S. President Donald Trump took to Twitter asking his energy and treasury secretaries to, quote, formulate a plan, end quote, to make funds available to U.S. energy producers that have been hit by the collapse in prices. But there's little consensus on Capitol Hill about helping these oil and gas companies. A new round of aid is expected to be available to American businesses and hospitals soon. 
Yesterday, the White House and congressional leaders agreed on the terms of a $484 billion deal. It passed through the Republican-led Senate on Tuesday night. If passed by the House of Representatives and signed by President Donald Trump, $320 billion will replenish the Paycheck Protection Program meant for small businesses. Of the new funds to replenish PPP, $60 billion of it will go to small lenders and community-based financial institutions, a key demand from Democrats. The House is expected to vote on the bill later this week. Mr. Trump is expected to sign the bill soon after. Now, coronavirus lockdowns have limited the way we're all spending our free time, and it turns out tens of millions of us are turning in to watch a show called Tiger King. Netflix came out with first quarter earnings yesterday. The streaming service said that it brought in 16 million new subscribers in the three-month period ending in March. That's more than double what the company was expecting. And it said viewership has surged. 64 million viewers tuned into the seven-part true crime docuseries, Tiger King. But the company warned that the boost in subscribers and viewership was temporary. Since most of the new subscribers came from outside the U.S., paying in other currencies, Netflix said these wins could be offset by a stronger dollar. The lockdowns have also meant production has been shut down, threatening the all-important content pipeline. But Netflix said its slate of programming for the second quarter shouldn't be hit. The price of Netflix stock has surged since coronavirus lockdowns have gone into effect. For context, Netflix has climbed more than 30% this year, while the broader market has lost 12%. Back in February, the outlook for most industries looked a lot different than it does today. Just look at the order predictions aircraft makers were making at the time. In February, Boeing and Airbus were confidently predicting demand for more than 40,000 aircraft worth roughly $7 trillion over the next 20 years. But these plans have had to change since then. Daily international flights have dropped an astounding 87% since January. And as the FT's industry editor, Peggy Hollinger, explains, for Boeing, this couldn't have happened at a worse time. So Boeing was hemorrhaging Billions. I think in January, they said that they faced a $19 billion bill for the MAX crisis. So when you then add on top of that the virtual grounding of the world's fleet of commercial aircraft and also the fact that in this crisis, a number of airlines are almost certainly going to go bust, but also those airlines that survive will have taken on a lot of debt to get through this crisis. We'll see that passenger demand is likely to be suppressed for the next couple of years until people feel completely comfortable traveling again. It means they're not going to be able to get as many aircraft out the door as they had thought they would get out, which means not as much cash. Boeing has said that the U.S. aerospace industry itself and its suppliers need a bailout of about 60 billion dollars to get through this crisis. So Peggy, how have these companies readjusted their game plans? What are they thinking about next? When the crisis first broke out, clearly there was a lot of confusion. Nobody really knew how long this was going to last. They took the first few weeks to really take the soundings from their customers. Airbus was the first to move and Airbus came out about 10 days ago and slashed production of its aircraft by a third, which is pretty radical. And that includes possibly the best-selling single aisle on the planet at the moment, which is Airbus's A320 family. Now, Boeing has not 
yet officially cut its rates. It closed its factories for three weeks. Airbus had previously closed its factories, both of them to implement safety measures like social distancing, new shift patterns. Boeing had closed them for slightly longer. It is reopening its commercial jet factories this week. But it is absolutely clear that the production rate will not be what it was before the crisis. And I think we're all expecting when Boeing announces its first quarter results later this month that they will officially announce a reduction in the production rates, not just of the 787 wide body, but the 737 MAX, which has been grounded, will not return to the production rates that had been planned before this crisis. And Peggy, one thing that really stood out to me from the story you wrote is from the head of the International Bureau of Aviation. He's talking about customer expectations when they want to travel again. And he says, do people really want to be centimeters apart while flying, you know, concerns about the coronavirus? How is this crisis going to change the way we think about travel? This is the big question that no one can really answer. I think we do know that when airlines return to flying, things can't be the same, at least in the short term. We've had the chief executive of EasyJet who said he expects to do social distancing on his aircraft at the very beginning. And he says he can do it because he expects demand to be so low it'll be easy for him to space passengers out and he can do it. He doesn't believe that that will be the case for the long term, but honestly, nobody really knows. So one of the big questions that Boeing and Airbus are thinking about is, you know, if this does become something that is required by safety authorities, there has to be greater distance between passengers. Well, that means that the airframe makers, Boeing and Airbus, are going to have to think about configurations in a different way and trying to think about how they can help their customers to make money out of a model where maybe there isn't as much density in an airplane as there has been traditionally. And then when we return to flying, there's also the question of whether there will be health screening at airports. Will this create more delays? Will this mean that passengers will be less likely to get on an airplane? These are all questions we want answers to, and we don't know yet. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., 